with great solemnity and sadness, uh, I'm announcing that the House will be establishing a uh, select committee on the January 6th insurrection. After January 6th, Congress announced that they were launching an investigation to figure out what happened and what went wrong that day. From the very beginning, this committee has had very little support from Republicans. An exception is Congresswoman Liz Cheney, one of the committee's two Republicans. The select committee has now conducted over 800 interviews and depositions uh, of witnesses who have knowledge of the events of January 6th. After conducting hundreds of interviews and uncovering more than 100,000 records, people might wonder, well, what did they find out? The thing that I would be very intrigued to see is how much has the committee uncovered that we do not already know about what the former president did that day during the riots. Josh Dossie is a political investigations reporter for The Post. Starting Thursday evening, the committee is going to hold televised primetime hearings. And Josh might actually get some answers. And I guess we'll see how much evidence they've gathered. I mean, it's kind of after 12 months of working in the shadows and doing thousands of interviews, all sorts of depositions, subpoenas, phone records, uh, all sorts of other investigative techniques. It's kind of time to, to see what they have now. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Wednesday, June 8th. Today, we'll hear from Josh about the members of the president's inner circle that could testify for the first time and what the committee's findings could mean for the Republican politicians who built their brand defending the insurrection. Then, later in the show, we follow up on Tuesday's election results in California. In some ways, it is pretty surprising that here we are a year and a half after the attack and we're still learning new things about what was happening in the lead up and what was happening behind the scenes. And in many ways, that seems to be the focus of these hearings that are getting started this week. Can you talk about these hearings, what they are and why they are significant? Well, we're learning a lot of new things, Martine, because key figures are testifying. Key figures are having to talk now about what they saw. For example, the January 6th committee has now interviewed members of the former president's secret service detail, including the head of a secret service detail who knew about all of his motions and movements that day. Uh, What we expect to see in these hearings is uh, an extensive look at the days leading up to January 6th, uh, the moments of January 6th itself, and some of the deleterious consequences that have come since January 6th. I guess the question will be for this committee is, can they unearth any sort of new revelations, any sort of new bombshells that really grip the public? Uh, we have right now kind of a polarized public where you know, a lot of folks have in their mind calcified what they actually thought about January 6th, whether they thought, you know, it was a violent insurrection, which, you know, it was on the Capitol, or a lot of Republicans have decided that it, it was, you know, not so bad after all. And I think the what the committee wants to accomplish is to present a vivid and compelling and deeply detailed look at what happened to try and get folks to reconsider some of their thoughts or to try and reiterate um, how bad things were that day. So, Josh, tell me, what are the hearings that are starting this week and who's holding these hearings? 
The Select Committee to Investigate January 6th is beginning its public hearing phase on Thursday evening in prime time, where they start a series of hearings, some in prime time, some in, some not, that are designed to examine what happened on January 6th at the Capitol and the forces that led up to January 6th and what have happened since January 6th and what should be done uh, to prevent this from happening again. Uh, it's a seven-member committee, uh, mostly Democrats, but two Republicans who are expected to uh, bring in dozens of witnesses uh, to to provide all sorts of video, all sorts of various depositions, and that will try and present. We don't know how much evidence they have yet, but we're learning more and more by the day a comprehensive picture of what happened um, during that period. January 6th was without precedent. There has been no stronger case in our nation's history for a congressional investigation into the actions of a former president. We must investigate the facts in detail, and we are... The two Republicans on the committee are Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney. Both of them are fierce Trump critics. Both of them voted to impeach him. We don't know how much evidence they have yet, but we're learning more and more by the day, a comprehensive picture of what happened um, during that period. And these hearings are going to be shown on primetime television, right? I mean, that feels notable in terms of the audience that they're trying to reach and how they're trying to reach them. Well, some of them are. Not all of them will be primetime, but some of the hearings will be primetime. And, you know, they're trying to reach a group of people that maybe they believe haven't tuned into every incremental detail over the past year and a half. You maybe understand vaguely what happened that day, watch some of the news coverage in lifetime, but have not been following the twists and turns of its investigation. And, uh, you know, having these sorts of hearings in primetime is also a risky bet for the committee because you're getting the American people or a lot of the American people to tune in at large. And it means uh, you better have a pretty compelling presentation ready to go. So you mentioned Secret Service is among the people that we are going to hear from from these hearings that we haven't heard from, at least publicly before. What are some of the other voices that we'll be hearing and and the people who will be part of this hearing? We're also expected to hear from former White House aides, mid-level and junior aides. A lot of the senior aides have resisted testifying. Former officials of the Department of Justice who resisted former President Trump's entreaties to overturn the election. A number of aides to former Vice President Mike Pence who certified the election and faced down kind of a violent mob for doing so. Uh, and a number of folks who were in the Capitol that day, police officers in the Capitol, legislative aides who were in the Capitol, uh, folks who you know were beaten by some of the protesters, folks who beat back some of the protesters. You know, one documentary filmmaker who filmed the Proud Boys and some of the other far right figures who were coming into Washington. Uh, I think you'll hear from a whole uh, smorgasbord of different kinds of individuals over the next few weeks. You mentioned Vice President Pence, and I find myself very curious about how he was reacting to the events as they were unfolding um, and some of the ways in which Trump, I don't know, you could say like was throwing Pence under the bus. What are some of the questions that you have around Pence and those moments for him and and some of the the revelations that we've seen more recently about what was going on in the vice president's office. 
Well, we know a lot of this from reporting that we've done and that other outlets have done about the comprehensive pressure campaign that was put on former Vice President Mike Pence by former President Trump and his lawyers and the detailed conversations that led up to January 6th where they were trying to convince uh, the former vice president to capitulate and to go along with their scheme to overturn the election. I'd be super interested to see uh, more detailed memos, any sort of documents, emails. Uh, We'd love to see emails from John Eastman, the former Trump lawyer, who extensively communicated with Mike Pence and his team, trying to force him uh, to help overturn the election. Uh, Any sort of legal rationale they gave has been super uh, interesting to a lot of us because it's shown how dubious some of the theories were. And then it would be, I think, compelling for the general public to hear in live time former Vice President Pence's top aides describe the fear they felt that day, how they were dragged out of the Capitol by the Secret Service, what the reaction was in live time to former President Trump tweeting at him uh, that he was basically a coward while he was under threat, um, how he rallied uh, legislative leaders and military leaders that afternoon, uh, what went into his decision to go back later that night and certify and what he makes of the entire pressure campaign in totality. Um, I don't think former Vice President Pence himself is going to testify. I think we're likely to hear from some of his top aides. And I think the granular detail that they can provide about that kind of consequential period in history will be riveting to the general public. And then there are these reports that President Trump basically was seemed to support the idea of hanging Vice President Pence, that when he heard the chance of hang Mike Pence, his, his response to that. Can you talk a little bit about that reporting and how much of an outstanding question is there on whether Trump was OK with seeing his vice president harmed by these attackers? One of the most challenging questions we've had journalistically, and I think the committee has had, is trying to piece together a minute-by-minute account of what former President Trump was doing that day while the Capitol was under siege. And what the committee knows is that one of the witnesses, a woman by the name of Cassidy Hutchinson, who was a deputy to Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, testified that during the afternoon of January 6th, Mark Meadows came to a room with her and others and said to them, that he had told former President Trump about what was happening with uh, Mike, the crowd yelling, hang Mike Pence, and that the former president suggested that he agreed with them on that. Uh, it's unclear exactly what Tony said this. We don't have a lot of details um, about that exchange. We've been trying to learn more. The committee's been trying to learn more. But what we know is that afternoon, as this, these violent scenes were unfolding, uh, the former president was not particularly interested in immediately stopping them and actually saw the crowd as as fighting for him. We also know that the committee has video recordings of Trump's daughter, Ivanka, um, as well as Jared Kushner. And I think a lot of people are interested in seeing those recordings, interested in seeing how they reacted and are reflecting now on on the attack. What do we know about those recordings and what do you think is going to be shown on TV from them? Well, we know that the committee was pressing Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump to explain the details of that day. And what we expect that they will show is Ivanka Trump telling the committee that repeatedly she was, you know, going downstairs to talk to her father and in an effort to get him to put out a statement to tell the violent mob at the Capitol to go home. And I think in any circumstance, these will be particularly interesting. They spent an entire day uh, with both of these folks um, and got a lot of a lot of detail in 
what they were thinking in the days leading up to and on January 6th. So uh, I think the committee will will use some of that uh, in its public uh, airing of its findings. And could these hearings eventually lead to any kind of charges or, or prosecution? Or is all of that essentially done at this point? That's a great question. Whether the committee will try and do any sort of referrals, criminal referrals to DOJ, they haven't made decisions made on that. And, you know, whether DOJ would actually pursue those criminal referrals is another open question. So there's certainly no, um, there's no finality on that one way or the other. And what are questions that you have um, for this hearing? Like if there's one thing that you are looking out for or a thing that you're hopeful that you'll be able to understand better when this whole thing is over, what is it? One of the things we don't quite know, but I'll be very curious to see if the committee can find out, is how much of these various legal strategies were directed by the former president himself. I mean, you had a, a whole rogues gallery of lawyers, a Sidney Powell's, a John Eastman's, a Rudy Giuliani's, all of these various figures who were pursuing dubious theories of fake electors or the Dominion machine falsehoods or, you know, a whole whole panoply of conspiracy theories. And how much of that was actually being driven by the Oval Office uh, vis-a-vis the former president just taking anything he could get and going along with it? I also think one of the things that I would be super interested to find out is how close were we to the former president or any of his um, top officials trying to declare the Insurrection Act, to try and declare martial law? Um, We know through some of our reporting that there were fringe folks on the outside who wanted uh, some of these extrajudicial means uh, taken during that time. But we haven't seen any proof that the former president himself was directly uh, involved in in trying to do any of that. And I'd be really curious to know one way or the other um, how close that ever came to the Oval Office. As much as a lot of this, I think, sounds interesting to people who have been enmeshed in the details of January 6th, I think for a lot of regular people and frankly, people that I've talked to, listeners to our show, you know, friends and family, they say, look, I watched the video from outside and inside the Capitol after January 6th. I basically understand what happened and I don't really know what else there is to know about, you know, what was a a horrible day for this country. And that I, I think there is a real sense of fatigue here for people a year and a half later. And so I guess what would you say to that? Like, why do you think people who will see these hearings on their TV in evenings in the coming week, like, why should they not change the channel? I do think it's a particular challenge for the January 6th committee is to present findings and information that really makes folks want to dial in. You know, that said, what the committee is trying to do and what we've been trying to do in our reporting is to explain the forces that led up to January 6th and what it's meant since then for the country. I mean, at its core, and and we've explained a lot of these in, in stories and are still trying to explain more, this was a pretty comprehensive plot but leading up to January 6th to overturn an election and then a violent mob that descended on the Capitol on January 6th. And since then, you really haven't seen much retrenchment. I mean, in fact, you've seen the former president and a lot of his acolytes, you know, try and install folks who were uh, stop the steal candidates in various positions of power. And in some places, they've had success. I mean, you look at Mastriano, the Republican nominee mm-hmm. for governor in Pennsylvania, was at the Capitol on January 6th. You, you look at a lot of these figures who, 
are now gaining more power in the Republican Party, and some of them because of what they did on that day. I mean, the story of January 6th, I think, in some ways, I understand why many folks say, you know, we saw all we need to see. We don't need to watch any of this. We we got it. But the levels of... Um, Mm-hmm. The way it's still unfolding and the things, the details we know of leading up to what happened on January 6th, I think is important for, for folks to understand. I mean, I don't know that we fully will ever know all of the factors that, that happened before and after that day, but we've learned more and more and understanding what went into all of those folks going to the Capitol, I think is important maybe to stop something like that from happening again, at least according to you know historians and experts and, and folks who you know, I have studied this carefully. Josh, thank you so much for explaining all of this to us. Thank you. Josh Dossie is a political investigations reporter for The Post. This story was produced by Ariel Plotnick and edited by Rena Flores. After the break, the results of Tuesday's election in California and what it tells us about how Democrats are viewing criminal justice reform. We'll be right back. In-laws, love them or hate them, you're pretty much stuck with them. And when you're a ruler in the Middle Ages, that can be a serious problem. It might even land you dead. I'm Dan Jones, and on season four of This Is History, I'm telling the story of England's weirdest king, Henry III. He's in way over his head, and he's surrounded by bloodthirsty relatives with their eyes on his throne. To listen, search This Is History and follow wherever you get your podcasts. On Monday's episode, we talked about the election in California and whether Democrat voters were going to send a message about politicians they felt were soft on crime. And it turns out they did. Voters were not asked to choose between criminal justice reform and something else. They were given an opportunity to voice their frustration and their outrage, and they took that opportunity. We've made mistakes. We've learned a lot. In San Francisco, voters chose overwhelmingly to recall their district attorney, Chesa Boudin. He came into office in 2020 promising reform of the city's criminal justice system. But he has faced criticism for sometimes appearing indifferent to problems like property crime and burglary. I wish I had the power. I wish I could do all of the things that need to be done in this city, but I am one man. In Los Angeles, Democrats sent two candidates for mayor to a runoff in November. When the race was called on Tuesday night, billionaire real estate developer Rick Caruso had 41% of the vote. Congresswoman Karen Bass had 38%. For Democrats, it was a wake-up call about voters' frustration with established party leaders. But they're also upset that our city government seems to accept these problems as if life has to be this way. What voters are saying tonight is, no, it doesn't. It does not have to be this way. You can find more coverage of the primary and midterm races nationally at WashingtonPost.com. This story was produced by Arjun Singh and edited by Ted Muldoon. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sean Carter. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.
Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen.